Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we are taking a look at HBO Max's The Little Things, one of their first theatrical HBO Max simultaneous releases with this new deal they have with Warner Brothers. The movie stars Denzel Washington and Rami Malek as two L.A. detectives hunting Jared Leto, who they think is a serial killer. May or may not be. You might have to watch the movie to find out. We're also going to take a look at David Lynch's Mulholland Drive, the 2001 cult classic. I have never seen it. Andy has seen it in the past. We've got some hot takes about it, and I'm excited for y'all to hear the conversation we're going to take a look at some new trailers that are coming up that are particularly exciting and before we get to all of that we need to get to the news our first story this week more movies delayed because of the coronavirus <laughs> oh god dude i really i really thought 2000 like 2021 was going to be the year at the movies i thought we're going to get to see everything cool we didn't get to see in 2020 it's going to be great apparently not what 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 is getting delayed what is happening andy well, the big ones are uh, James Bond, No Time to Die is getting uh, delayed to October, I believe. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife is getting delayed to November. The Uncharted film getting delayed to 2022. Um, Edgar Wright's uh, Last Night in Soho also delayed to the fall. Basically, everything is getting pushed to October and November, which means we basically aren't going to have a summer blockbuster season again. Yeah. It seems like once again, we're going to have a dry summer. This is such a bummer. This is such a bummer. Typically, January through March at the movies is pretty lame anyway. Like, typically, there's not a whole lot going on in there. That's that's when a lot of, like, the junk projects are pushed to, the things that they don't really know how well they're going to do. That's when those movies are going on. So, right now, we're in kind of a weird holding pattern anyway, right? There shouldn't be anything awesome coming out. But, like, everything cool is getting pushed to late 2021 at best because these studios don't want a chance releasing a picture if they don't think it's going to make every single dime possible. I'm bummed, Andy. I'm bummed is what I am. What I am. How do you feel about it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it, yeah, it's frustrating because uh, basically the coronavirus is still around. Cases are still high. Vaccine is out, but it's slow in distribution. And it's going to take a, just a long time, six to nine months to get everyone uh, vaccinated or at least enough people vaccinated to be able to have large gatherings again. And that, that again, puts us in September, October territory. Yep. There's, there's movies here that are set to come out in late 2021 that are getting pushed to 2022 because of all this. Things are getting moved around. Uh, the Marvel schedule is getting pushed. Black Widow got pushed to May of next year. Uh, Doctor Strange, the multiverse of madness has been pushed from May of 2021 to like, Sometime in 2022, everything cool is getting moved. I'm 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 upset, and and I'll tell you what I'm upset about. I'm upset that more of these studios aren't embracing the streaming model. Obviously, Warner Brothers and HBO are doing their thing on HBO Max. Warner Brothers is a little mad about it. It seems to be working out for HBO. We'll talk about that in another story in just a couple of minutes. Disney is doing their thing. They're pushing stuff to Disney Plus. They're charging a premium for it. There are avenues to make this stuff work, but these studios. They won't do it. They won't they won't break and we got to wait to watch our movies. It's super lame. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's obviously a big loss to uh probably to to release something on on streaming. Yeah. But it's a bigger loss not to release it at all. And I still I still think, you know, it it's going to be a long slow trickle of people getting even when things are quote unquote back to normal, even when it's safe to be in large groups. It's not like you, you can put James Bond in the theater and the theaters are going to go from 25% capacity to 100%. Like pe- people are just going to wait. They're going to yeah. wait until they're they're comfortable. And especially with so many more things just being rentals, being available at, at home, like people are just like, we, we were discussing this earlier this week that there's a new tier of film 
kind of genre rising and it's like yeah that's good for streaming i wouldn't pay to see that it's so yeah that well yeah we have been talking about that a lot lately um it's so disappointing that all of these studios are so like teamed up with one another right they 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 won't just none of them will fall on the sword none of them will try to do what christopher nolan did with tenet and just say we're we're coming out in theaters we don't care it's happening um they're all too meek they're all going to wait. They're all going to make every single cent possible, right? What what happened to the passion for cinema? Huh? What, what, what happened to just <laughs> well, being excited well, about going to see movies? Well, Tenet came out and didn't underperform. Yeah. So. Tenet came out and nothing happened. Uh-huh. So obviously uh, other markets around the world aren't having this problem. Uh, they are coming around on the other side of coronavirus. They are going to have some slightly earlier dates for a lot of these, but piracy is still a problem. So it's not like, uh, you know, the Batman is going to come out a year ahead in, in New Zealand as opposed to here. So uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm just bummed. I'm just bummed is what I am. Yep. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll look toward the, and, and I, the thing is I anticipate more, even more things going to streaming things being sold to Netflix and, and the other streaming services. Yeah. Which I, I, I genuinely don't think is a bad thing. I think people like staying home and watching movies. I, I don't I don't think that's a bad thing. There will always be a place for the cinema. All right. Whether it be at home or abroad. Uh, something that is happening. That's kind of interesting, though. A new development in streaming services. Palm Springs, the Hulu comedy, is getting a commentary cut with stars Andy Samberg and Kristen Milioti. This is interesting. You'd think this would happen more. It totally doesn't. Nobody releases commentary cuts on streaming services. This is a first for Hulu. It's a first for, I think, a lot of the streaming format in general, right? Yeah, uh, this is a really cool thing, and it, it harkens back to the, the day, and I can't believe like that this is kind of over, but the glory days of DVD when you would have a lot of extras, including a lot of times director and actor commentary. Um, you know, when DVDs first came out in the in the 90s and early 2000s, there were lots of extras uh, like this. And it was really common to have like a, a director's commentary. And that's all kind of gone away in the age of streaming and, and even on, uh, you know, Blu-ray, even though they could do it. They usually just don't. Usually you have other kind of behind the scenes features. So it's really cool that, that they're coming out with a cut of this that you can watch with uh, essentially like director commentary. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Uh, Andy Samberg was talking to Variety, and he said, you know, um, as far as they know, they're the first film to do this on streaming services. Like, DVD commentaries are awesome. And I don't just say that because we're movie podcast people, right? Like, if you've never bothered to listen to, like, the commentary on your favorite film, you really should. You might be shocked to, like, find out what information is in there, right? The stories actors have from the set, stories directors might have about how, how something worked, maybe a cool special effect. Like, there's all kinds of really cool information you can get from commentary tracks from the creators who worked on the film. It's a shame we don't have those anymore. And it's, it's really neat to see that, at least in some capacity, making its way into digital media, into streaming. I hope more people take the reins. What I want to know from you, Andy, is what are the odds you go back and rewatch Palm Springs with the commentary track? I would definitely like to. It's, it's not a huge priority, but I, I'm definitely interested enough to go back. It's a short, I mean, it's like 90 minutes. It's not very long. I really enjoyed it. It was, it was really funny. So it'd be cool to go back and watch. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I don't know if I'd go back and rewatch it for like the show or anything. Typically we cover a film once, but eh, maybe in my free time might be worth going back and taking a look. I believe they had a good time making the movie. So maybe they got some funny stories. Who knows? 
Uh, one more story from streaming services. AT&T and HBO and Warner Brothers, the strange, incestuous relationship the three companies have, are finding a surprising amount of success, and then on the other side of the coin, lack of success in their streaming offerings. HBO Max has had a huge boon in subscribers, and also Warner Brothers' revenue is down almost... 25%. Um, weird, weird story to see opposite ends of this happening. What's going on for people who don't speak movies? So it looks like the uh, the release of things like Wonder Woman 1984 uh, have really boosted uh, HBO Max activations and subscribers, uh, which is exactly what they wanted to do. And I think also just like the plan for movies in 2021 to come out on HBO Max, it's really helped drive uh, new subscriptions, which is exactly what they w- wanted to see. Um, now, while that is a great thing, Warner Brothers revenue is down overall, as is every, you know, studio and enter- basically entertainment provider is all down because of coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, everybody, everybody's hurting. And and I know, you know, this whole deal, Warner Brothers penned, with, well, HBO really just kind of seemingly forced on Warner Brothers as a studio to kind of simultaneously release all of their 2021 films on the service at the same time. I know Warner Brothers is real mad about that. They were big mad about that because their 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 Hollywood accountants didn't know how that would add up and what that would turn into and whether or not they'd make all the returns they were planning on making with their exclusively theatrical releases. Uh, whether or not they've worked that out, time will tell. I mean, it's still happening. HBO hasn't canceled these movies. In fact, recently they released a trailer for for all of them and like this two minute supercut kind of thing. It looks super cool. Um, Warner Brothers obviously is not doing as well. HBO Max, on the other hand, is doing great. Like it's not easy to double your subscriber count. <laughs> that's pretty. That's pretty huge. I mean, just just Wonder Woman already was a huge push to get people to check out HBO Max. Obviously, people are sticking around. Um, this is a big win. So the question is, is this good for AT and T? Right? Who owns this whole thing? Are they? Yeah, I, I, I mean, or worse. I mean, more subscribers definitely helps. It it is still very low uh, by comparison. Disney Disney Plus has about eighty five million subscribers, and Netflix has a whopping two hundred million uh, subscribers. So it's uh, they got a long way to go. Yeah, well, of course, it's going to be an uphill climb no matter what. But hey. 17.2 million subscribers at what $10 a month. Um, that doesn't hurt, right? Like I'm, I'm sorry. Warner brothers isn't doing so hot as far as revenue goes, but movie theaters are closed. Of course they're going to be struggling. HBO max in the meantime is thriving and that's a good thing. I, I think they're only going to continue to do better this year. Um, if I was Netflix, I'd be quaking in my streaming boots. Yeah. I mean like most, um, most fledgling streaming services, it, it the first year is always rough. Um, and HBO Max it hasn't quite been out uh, a year. We're approaching that, but the same thing. Disney Plus had the same problem. It didn't have any anything. It it really survived on on the Mandalorian more than anything. And now that they got tons of content, so I think this will also start to happen with HBO Max. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I'm I'm hoping they do well. I'm I'm pulling for HBO. I, I don't like AT and T. I really don't like AT and T. But like HBO's library of content has always felt very curated very cinematic right it's not tv it's hbo that's been their saying since like the 90s and it feels more true now than ever they the dude hbo just turns out good stuff if you listen to the show and you don't have an hbo max subscription i would encourage you to at least go check out like the trial i'm not even doing trials anymore okay maybe you should just try it for a month or like borrow your friend's password or something and just check it out just scroll for a minute and tell me there's not stuff you want to watch on there It, it is a really great library of content you know that that's another thing that that kind of bothers me about HBO. They have an incredible library, but like their interface is really bad. It has it's 
if you don't know what's on there, like it's very easy to miss like all the, a lot of really great films. Yeah, and they do that terrible <laughs> when you're when you're looking through when you're trying to fast forward or rewind through your film. Uh, they do that terrible thing that Netflix has figured out where like rather than show you like screenshots of what you're going to be stopping at, right? Like like a DVD fast forward menu. It just kind of like stops where it's at and then you hit rewind and then it just shows a timer going backwards. Like the fast forward and rewind function is weird. The UI is definitely lacking as far as like searchability goes. A hundred percent. The browsing is, is, is all over the place. They, you know, they're not on top as far as it goes, but I think as far as their content's concerned, they're, they're doing really well. So here's hoping HBO max sticks around. Here's hoping AT&T figures out their deal with Warner brothers revenue and everybody stays pretty amicable because I would love for this to continue into 2022 and just continue being a thing. That would be awesome. But uh, time will tell. I'm not even sure if they'll make it to the end of 2021. And with that, we should move on to our first film of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summary on this one. So please excuse any flubs. The movie is, the little things. You know them, didn't you? Then you had that one little feeling. But you waved it away. You should have listened to that one little feeling. Just like I'm listening to you now. You can talk to me. I'm all a friend. So The Little Things is a procedural detective cop drama starring Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto as kind of our three title characters. Uh, Kern County Deputy Sheriff, I'm reading this off IMDb, I'll just be honest. Kern County Deputy Sheriff Joe Deacon is sent to Los Angeles for what should have been a quick evidence-gathering assignment. Instead, he becomes embroiled in the search for a serial killer who is terrorizing the city. Upon arriving in L.A., his, his old hometown, he meets Rami Malek, the new up-and-coming detective, and the two of them team up to try to find this serial killer who's currently terrorizing the city and may have been terrorizing the city in the past when Joe was in charge. The movie stars, like I said, Denzel Washington, Rami Malek, and Jared Leto is directed by John Lee Hancock, the director of such movies as The Rookie, The Blind Side, Saving Mr. Banks, and a few other features. He's also a writer, and he wrote and directed this feature. I'm excited to talk about this. Andy, what did you think of The Little Things? There's a few good things about this movie, but I think overall it's actually really, really problematic. Yeah. Um, as 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 a police procedural drama, it's very kind of uh, stock and cliche. The uh, Denzel Washington is a burned out cop who's obsessed with a case. We've all seen that before. Uh, Rami Malek is up and coming. Jared Leto is uh, may, c- could possibly be a serial killer. We we don't know the beginning of the film this ultimately this movie reminded me of much better films that kind of cover this same subject uh zodiac specifically and also uh, memories of murder which we saw just a few months ago which was absolutely brilliant um but the the problem is is that this this movie kind of uh just sweeps under the rug a lot of cops doing illegal things and kind of it's an ends justifies the means cop drama where it's like well it doesn't matter that you're breaking the law because you got to catch the the bad guy at at any cost yeah you know and it's yeah yeah but given kind of current uh social and civil unrest that that kind of message is is just doesn't really ring too well i i did think it did have a lot of mood a a lot of uh, a lot of the scenes kind of look good it's like it's in it's in like the dark and you know i was interested the whole time but just kind of where it goes i think is really problematic in the end 
Yeah, so The Little Things is definitely one of those those cop dramas you kind of look at the trailer for and think there's not going to be a lot of action or violence in this, because there isn't. Um, it's it's much more thought-provoking, much more like kind of chin-stroking, thinking-about-it kind of movie, right? Cops sitting around after hours, sitting in their little hotel rooms, drinking and thinking. That's, that's what this movie is, a drinking and thinking movie. Um, Denzel Washington is old. <laughs> In a word, <laughs> he's old in this movie. Like, his character isn't supposed to be too far off from his age, but, like, the guy is just not as, like, he didn't move around a whole lot. I get it. He's supposed to be this kind of beleaguered detective living outside L.A. This is a guy who's no longer detective, who stepped down to deputy sheriff. He's stepped away from his role as detective. He's obviously had some bumps along the road, but, like, I don't, I don't, maybe it's just Washington's energy, but he just felt like... It just was He's not dragging exciting. around this. Yeah. He just never looked like he was into what was happening ever. Like he looked like he was just like showing up. He's doing his bit. He's acting mad. And then he goes, sits in his trailer. Like that's kind of what it looked like. Rami Malek, I think is charismatic for what's happening here, but I don't think he's a good fit for the role. He's, he's too exotic and interesting to be playing this like kind of charismatic detective. He's 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 good, but he's he just doesn't quite fit who this, <laughs> this is a this is be. a Jai Courtney role. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And 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 Jared Leto is is like 110% turn to 11 Jared Leto, right? Like he's supposed to be this kind of kooky, weird guy who's a suspect might be a serial killer, but Leto plays him like he's the most guilty man ever. And it's like there's not enough like, ambiguity yeah there's not a, there's not enough mystery there um and maybe that's part of the point like maybe that's what this movie's trying to get at maybe it's worth a rewatch but for what it's worth first time through it's just a little bumpy so i want to talk about what works what doesn't work why ultimately we felt like this film falls a little short but why it might be worth your time if you're still kind of interested so let's talk about the little things first things first the plot Right. We've got mm-hmm. Denzel Washington, old washed up Joe Deacon, who uh, is no longer a detective. He's he's going back to L.A. to drop off a thing real quick for his old sergeant. And while he's there, he he unwittingly stumbles into a presser uh, that this new detective played by Rami Malek, a man named Joe Kirby, is holding where he's talking about this serial killer in town. And while he's there, his old his, his old sheriff says, hey, you know, you should. You should stick around and find out more about this. And then he manages to get like three weeks off work and doesn't have to go back home. And, and he hangs out in LA and hangs out with, with Rami Malek to, to, to solve this case on its face. It seems kind of fun, but it's real dry. And, and like I said, like Denzel, what he just doesn't seem into it. Like he just really does not seem into what's going on in this movie. <laughs> and Rami Malek's, my lines. Yeah. And Rami Malek's good, but he does not seem like the father of like a nuclear family. He's got a couple of daughters, a wife at home. I'm like, you just don't like, you just he still looks like fit. a bond villain. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. He just does not quite like slide into what I would expect. An, uh, an odd choice of casting. They're both very good. Um, but just a little, I don't know, a little dry, a little milk toast. I want a little bit more charisma out of him. So one thing that's in, kind of interesting is that Joe Deacon is definitely persona non grata here. Uh, whenever he shows up in L.A. County to pick up some evidence, everyone's like, why is he here? Why is he here? He needs to get out of here. Like, no, everyone like 
tolerates him, but is like really, really over the top unfriendly with, which points to like, you know, some mysterious thing in, in the past, which, which you slowly learn about over the course of the film, but it's just kind of, it's a little over the top and is like, are people really going to act like this in, in real life? But like everyone that he meets when the, the first half hour is like, Oh, it's Joe Deacon. Gross. Let right. it tell me oh, to go yeah. away. Yeah. No, nobody wants Joe in town. Nobody wants Denzel Washington to hang out. Um, and the same goes for for Jared Leto, who is featured heavily in our trailer, is kind of our our antagonist, right? He does not show up for the first hour of the film. He is he is not there until at least halfway through the second act, uh, and he's good, but he does not have that many scenes. He really does not show up a whole lot in this movie. He is not who this movie is about. It's it's really about Joe Deacon and kind of him. He's got kind of this sordid past that you kind of uncover as as the film goes, right? You learn more, a little bit more about him, and that's kind of interesting. But once you kind of find out where everything's headed, um, it's a little lukewarm, I think. It doesn't quite build up to like the 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 fervor that this pot is boiling over for. Like you really think it's gonna it's gonna like turn into something big and like it kind of just doesn't. It kind of just fizzles out. And and I think that's a problem of the runtime. It's it's a little long. This is two hours, seven minutes, I think. Um, it probably could have been tighter. And it's a bit of a problem with the pacing, yeah, having Leto come in in the second half and not being around at all, knowing nothing about Joe Deacon at the beginning of the film and spending the first hour finding out more about him. That stuff just kind of slows it down in a way that I feel like doesn't really build up to anything particularly great. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many issues that I kind of lost my train of thought, but one, yeah. one thing that, that sticks out to me is just, yeah, we've seen all this before, and like I said, it... You know, in something like Seven, uh, we we have this un we have this pairing uh, that or mismatched pairing uh, with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman. It, but Morgan Freeman has you know he's the experienced detective. He's got you know he unwraps part of the mystery through you know expert sleuthing and like we don't really get any of that. Uh, you know the the solving of the mystery isn't super uh, interesting or in, intriguing. Um, and I think another kind of big problem with me is is that. Uh, so there's several, it's like five or six murders. They're all women. And I was like, I kind of feel like we're past this, this era of movies of like just seeing women slaughtered in serial killer movies. I feel like, you know, it was, it was a thing for a pretty long time in movies, but now it just, it just feels kind of gross. Yeah. Um, you know, this movie is set in 1990 and I'm going to be honest, um, that is in no way paid service. Like in the film, the only reason you could tell this is 1990 is because the cars they drive are a little older and they're not constantly on iPhones. Otherwise, like this looks like it was shot in 2021. Nothing like looks particularly period about this. I mean, this is this should be 30 years ago now, right? Like, yeah. Um, and it just kind of doesn't feel that way. Should uh, look like a 1960s film did in the 90s. A little bit, right? Yeah, like this in the year 2000, you're thinking of like that 70s show. Like this should look like particularly dated, but it really doesn't. Um, it just looks like these cops like driving around old cars. That's really it. And that's okay. Like, I don't expect them to use, like, you know, fancy camera gear or anything like the lighthouse to make it look old and dated. But, like, I think the big reason that is is because this script, I did a little research. This script was actually written about 28 years ago, which adds up to being set in about 1990, right? That's not too far off. Apparently, uh, the writer, who's now the director, John Lee Hancock, wrote this hoping to shop it around to other, other people. This script passed through Clint Eastwood's hands. It passed through Danny DeVito's hands who's directed a couple features, <laughs> believe it or not, and also Spielberg, who apparently for a year or two wanted to make this film, but then somewhere along the way there was a rewrite to make it a little bit more violent. Somebody said it was too boring. Spielberg said, you know what? I kind of just did Schindler's List. I don't want to get anything too too weird right now. I'm not into that. He passed. 
And now, 28 years later, we have John Lee Hancock directing his own feature. He's directed films in the past. That's not against the rules. But I think, considering the cast, right? I mean, the trailer even says at the top, you've got three Academy Award winners helming this picture. Um, I, I think in the hands of a stronger director, it might have had a little bit more something, a little bit more suspense, a little bit more bite. Like, it just just the kind of that it factor it needs to really leap off the screen at me. Yeah, it, it really just doesn't say anything and i think that's what you have to do with these these genres that have been treaded so much just like when you make a, a western you got to kind of do something or say something new um with the these kind of genre heavy films and all this did was remind me of better films like i said it reminded me of memories of murder and there is a little bit of that you know how far is too far to go uh for justice but it just it's it's really lacking any kind of like introspection or philosophical something or other to just like bring you bring you along that all these classic you know again things like like seven or uh, zodiac as well and it's just like it's it's just lacking everything that makes those movies great yeah i definitely thought a lot of seven and zodiac while watching this both david fincher films by the way brilliant director if you didn't know um yeah i i think this movie like it it it's really easy in this genre for for cop dramas, for procedurals, to put out a trailer that looks really interesting. It's very easy. Like, you've got dark imagery, you've got something something going on under the surface, right? Cops that are trying to do the right thing, get to the bottom of it and, and, and enact justice. Um, but a trailer does not a good movie make. Like, And the trailer for this movie looks pretty good, but like ultimately it's just a little... A little flat. I, I I don't have anything particularly engrossing to say about the music. The cinematography at times is good, right? I think I think I think uh, Miss Mister Hancock definitely looked at uh, like Fincher as inspiration for some of this stuff. There's some there's some shots that look like they came right out of like the Zodiac playbook. It's dark, seedy, underbelly of L.A. That kind of stuff. There's other stuff that's like it looks like it came off the set of a sitcom. Like, it just looks really plain. Like, they didn't really have a direction with the lighting. And and I'm surprised. John Lee Hancock has done some great films. But this one just doesn't really hit the mark. Yeah, it, it's, like I said, uh, there's much better, like, TV shows and, and films of of this kind of genre. And it's it's very cliche. Like, when, when the revelations come, like, you just kind of roll your eyes or they're very predictable. You knew where it was going. Yeah. It, the film's not saying anything about, like, justice or policing or crime or in any of those things jared leto is, is you know discount serial killer i saw i read this great review where he said it looked like he went down to party city and picked out like the serial killer costume and, and look because it's just like so over the top as opposed yeah. to like trying to be someone who's supposed to be innocent right like exactly like leto plays it like he is a hundred percent guilty and it's like that may not be the best like, like part of part of a good crop drama i think is presenting questions right like what do we know about this person are they are they good are they bad is there a motive and like this movie kind of it uses that as a medium in which to tell the story but it doesn't do it in any effective way it's 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 like a it's like a great coloring book page of what a cop drama should look like all the outlines everything you need to make it happen but then the person who's painting like filling in the lines doesn't have like a full set of crayons like it's just not quite there it's just lacking a little something but 
it's not terrible. I think you could do much worse when it comes to, to to streaming services and cop dramas. I mean, it does have three Academy Award-winning actors sitting at the front of it. So if you're a big Rami Malek fan, if you're a big Denzel Washington fan, if you really are a J Jared Leto fan, just, I mean, bonkers crazy for 30 seconds to Mars, maybe there's something here for you. Or if you're just looking for a classic cop drama, right? Like you need something to settle down with after a long day at work, you're into this stuff, maybe you're into it. Otherwise, maybe we should just move on to formal recommendations, right? Yep. Andy, would you recommend The Little Things? I'm going to go with Hard Pass. Oh, Hard Pass. <laughs> hard, two Hard Pass in a row. Like I said, two, it's, yeah. it's, it's incredibly cliche. Um, it, it does have some interesting mood. Uh, sometimes the performances aren't, aren't, aren't bad. We are missing, you know, we don't get a big Denzel Washington speech by, or from, from him or, or anyone. Uh, like I said, it's sockets cliche. And ultimately, it's got some really problematic elements of like cops doing things that are incredibly illegal, but you know, for the greater good or like, we got to catch this guy. So I'm going to do an illegal search or rough up the, uh, the suspect, that kind of thing. And in this kind of day and age that, that doesn't really fly with anyone, uh, anymore. Uh, it, it was fine, but o overall underwhelming. It is playing in theaters because this is an HBO max release to be in theaters and on HBO max. Uh, but yeah, I would, I would definitely skip it in theaters and I would skip it in streaming. Yeah, I think I'd go hard pass as well. And it's rare that we give out hard passes on this show, but it's 2021. By God, we're doing things differently. All right. I, I think this movie is exactly what Andy said. It's just a little dry. It doesn't really have anything about it that stands out as incredible. I, if you're a big fan of cop dramas or any of these actors, maybe it's worth your time. Otherwise, I'd let it go. If you're just cruising and you're looking for something new, I'd encourage you to check out like a top 10 list of cop dramas available to watch or to stream. I mean, across Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Apple TV Plus, if you got it, HBO, you're, you're going to find something that's just a little bit meatier than this. And if you haven't seen them, I would absolutely encourage you to go check out David Fincher's Seven or Zodiac. Both are much, much better versions of what this movie is trying to be. If you're looking for something like this, I would encourage you to check out those first. And then, uh, you know, do a little searching on your own. It, this movie's just unfortunately not, not bold enough to really do anything new. Do not go see this movie in a theater. Also, if you're look, if you need to go see something oh, in a God, theater, no. don't watch this movie. Do not, <laughs> do not spend your money. You will be mad. Like you're not going to like it. <laughs> Watch it on HBO. See, that's what I mean. If if yeah. I wouldn't recommend someone to go pay for this, it's not really too far behind to watch it. Even it's if you're very true. The service. That's very true. That's a hundred percent true. That's the little things. And with that, we should move on to our next segment. Andy's gonna take the first one here. Andy, please take it away. It's time for the trailer part. So uh, the first one we're going to be talking about is a new trailer just came out today called Moxie. And Moxie is about a 16-year-old girl in high school who gets fed up with kind of this uh, toxic culture of uh, kind of misogyny and um, cults within in the school, cl cliques within the school, and kind of goes on this crusade of uh, feminist revolution. Um, and her mom is played by Amy Poehler and Amy Poehler also directs. So it's like a comedy, a coming of age story, uh, about kind of feminism in, in high school. Uh, it comes out on Netflix in March. It, it looks like a, a lot of fun and Amy Poehler's always really good. Um, Zach, what, what are your thoughts? You know, Moxie looks okay. Um, I, I have trouble understanding who this movie is like specifically made for. I guess young women, but it's made by women who have not been in high school in like 35 years. So like I get like trying to have a connection. I'm, I'm sure like, you know, the, the, the human moments of this shine through. I'm sure these moments of rebellion and, and, and 
femininity are important, but also like I watch a trailer like this. And I'm like, this just feels a little disconnected. Nobody in high school is like that. I, I, I don't believe anybody in high school is like that. I know I'm a few years out of high school. I don't think anybody's like that. In fact, nobody's like this in high school because they're all doomed to high school from home. Because that's <laughs> we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're, we're in the middle of a panty. But like, I, I you know, it looks okay. I, I, it's definitely not made for me. Uh, I, I am interested to see Amy Poehler in the director's chair again. I know she's directed a few episodes of Parks and Rec. I know she's done a couple of films, I think, at this point. Yeah. Um, I couldn't tell you which ones, though. So, I don't know. I'm interested, I guess. We'll, we'll see. I don't, I don't know if we'll end up covering this one for the show, but, uh, you know, it could be something. That's Moxie. I'm much more interested, however, in our next trailer. <laughs> I'm excited to be talking about this. The movie is Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, my God. The most exciting thing that's ever happened in the monster mover movie Monsterverse. Monster Movieverse. Oh, my this God. This is how you make a trailer. Yes. By the, way. Uh, the next epic chapter in Universal Cinematic Monsterverse pits two of the greatest icons in monster movie history against one another for one time only on the silver screen. One must go. It's Godzilla versus Kong. Following the events of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, the most recent Godzilla film, uh, something has gone wrong in the movie movie universe of Godzilla. God, Godzilla is being erratic, and the government doesn't understand why. He's destroying cities and leveling buildings. They don't know what to do, and they can't fight him with any modern technology. He, he's Godzilla. So they have to do the one thing they can to fight back. <laughs> they have to go get another monster from some other corner of the world and bring them over. So just like Jeff Goldblum at the end of Jurassic Park 2, they load, they load Donkey Kong on a boat, and they bring him <laughs> over to fight Godzilla in the middle of L.A. It's the greatest thing ever. It looks incredible. It I really is. <laughs> it, look, it looks so dumb. It comes back around, and it's cool again. I'm crazy excited about Godzilla versus Kong. It's probably going to be horrible, uh, but, but I think the effects will be cool. And in a lot of ways, that's what matters when you go to see a movie like this. Andy, what do you think of this trailer? Um, I was super hyped for this, too. And I'm not not a huge Godzilla fan um, by any means. And no. this this trailer got me super stoked because it's just it's like Michael Bay level. So over the top, there's explosions. There's, you know, giant monkey fights, giant lizard, <laughs> um, you know, and there's there's some great lines uh uh oh i can't remember her name that's Re rebecca hang on i'll look it up Re Chastain. rebecca hall rebecca uh, hall Rebecca Hall. she's in it and you know she has a lion that and i can't believe she has to seriously say this but she's like kong bows to no one like and there's there's <laughs> lines oh, oh yeah there's lines thrown around like that all through just this trailer and it's so great because it's basically like wrestling uh times 10 and like there's destruction there's action. Right. Uh, Millie Bobby there, Brown is also making a return in this. You got yes. Godzilla in his big blue fire breath. And at one point, uh, Kong has like Thor's axe. <laughs> yeah. So much it absorbs Godzilla's fire breath and he swings at it. It's like, what is happening? It looks like such a mess. Millie Bobby Brown is back in this movie. Kyle Chandler is in this film. A handful of other 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 actors and actresses from Godzilla King of the Monsters make a return. I'm surprised there's no Kong Skull Island crossover, seemingly. This is this does seem to be the Kong from Kong Skull yeah. Island, that more recent Kong movie starring Tom Hiddleston. It doesn't look like any of that cast translates. It doesn't it looks like they're completely independent as far as we can tell. This is set in the universe of King of the Monsters, uh, the more recent Godzilla film, so I don't know, man. Like the, uh, again, the, the I bet it'll be just like King of the Monsters. The plot will be terrible. The special effects will be cool. So the the difference is like this looks so much more exciting than than King of the Monsters. Like 
it's just so absurd over the top you know it's like pacific rim king kong godzilla you know laying waste it's gonna be great big time the internet's already done some sleuthing over analyzing the trailer trying to figure out what's going on uh if you want to read more about that you're welcome to we won't talk about it here but we are excited to see godzilla king of the monster who's gonna win by the way i mean one of them's gotta right what do you think uh it'll end in a draw I know it like the, the trailer literally says one must fall. I think that's the tagline for the film, but like, it, yeah, no, neither will fall. Um, or, or it'll turn out to be some third monster that's involved and the two will yeah. team up. There, there's going to, yeah, there's going to be some more, uh, monsters coming up, but yeah, yeah Kong bows so, to no one. Yeah. And I'm if anybody, and if anybody goes down, it better be Kong. God, Godzilla cannot lose ever. That's, that's the <laughs> rule. So whatever. My, my money's on Godzilla. Anyway, we should talk about our last film of the episode, an older movie that Andy has seen a few times I'd never seen before this. I'm excited to talk about it. Andy, please take it away. Mulholland Drive. I can't believe it. I'm just so excited to be here. I'm in this dream place. This one comes highly recommended. So this is the 2001 kind of surrealist classic from director David Lynch, who, who's known for you know surrealist cinema, some very difficult things to uh, unpack. Uh, it was recently, it was either a year or two ago, was voted best film of the 21st century by the uh, BFI, which is the British um, paper thing organization. Uh, it's a classic. It is, uh, there's a lot going on. It has an interesting production, uh, which we'll get into. But first, the story. Mulholland Drive uh, stars Naomi Watts as Betty, who arrives in L.A. as a young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young actress looking to make it big in, uh, you know, the city of dreams. Uh, she has an aunt that is that has, a, you know, a fancy apartment in town that she's staying at, and while she's there, she runs into a mysterious woman uh, named Rita, <clears throat> played by uh, Laurie Lena Haring. Um, Rita has recently been in some sort of car accident. She has amnesia. She doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know her name. She doesn't know where she was. She doesn't know anything. And so the two kind of set off on this uh, kind of Hardy Boys, Nancy Drew style <laughs> mystery to uncover her past and what's going on. All the meantime, Naomi Watts is uh, trying to, she has an audition. She's trying to break into the industry. She's uh, trying to be a star. And there's also lots of other things going on in the film that are kind of tangentially related. There's uh, co- there's cops, there's gangsters, there's uh, affairs, there's a film being, there's a film within a film. There's a lot going on. Uh, this is definitely one of my favorite movies of all time. And I had the pleasure of seeing it when it first came out before anyone, and this was pre, like pre-modern internet when you didn't have things to kind of explain to you. Um, anyways, I really love this movie. Zach, what'd you think? I didn't like this movie. (laughs) So I've, okay, so let me explain. So Mulholland Drive is a movie with an interesting history, right? I have heard for a decade that this movie is great. It is a cult classic. It is brilliant. It is incredible. It is something to behold, right? So in my head, this movie has taken a status with some of the greatest films ever, right? I knew it was surreal. I knew this was David Lynch. I knew this was a guy that made Twin Peaks. Like, I knew this was something weird and and it's worth mentioning i've never seen a david lynch product i enjoyed ever i i respect lynch i respect his vision i don't like what he does (laughs) personally (laughs) i understand why he has the reputation he has 
I'm just, dude, I'm not into his surreal way of seeing the world. Like the way he uses film as a medium to explore the subconscious is messy to me. And I, I, I don't like it. So I knew this movie was going to be real good. I knew it was going to be real weird. I think all of that hype really affected me going in and I didn't like it. I, I thought it was overblown. I thought it was nonsensical. Um, I thought it was uh, an, an absurd amount of work that didn't have any direction. Um, and and then I found out uh, doing some research after the fact, one, what it all meant, which explained a lot. And two, um, the kind of the production history behind this movie and why it is the way it is. And that, I think, fills in a lot of the blanks for me as to why I'm so critical of its quality. Um so I'm excited to talk about it. I think I'm going to talk about the cinematography, which is some stuff you're not really going to care to hear because you don't, you, you, you're just not going to care. Um, the, the plot is definitely interesting. How do we talk about this movie without spoiling it? Well, I mean, we're, it's a 20 year old film. I might have to spoil a little bit. Of it. Okay. Um, well, but the first thing I want to talk about is the, is the production history. So this movie actually started life as a TV show. Um, uh, Lynch had had previously done Twin Peaks, a uh, twenty two episode, thirty episode, um, very long form TV series. So this was made as a pilot for a new series that was going to be called Mulholland Drive. They shot the pilot, they showed it to the suits, they didn't like it. Yeah, and so he took it back. Um, I don't, and I don't know how much footage he had, but then from there they they filmed some more to make it into a film. The problem is they filmed it after. They had like essentially ended production completely, and so like they didn't have any of like the sets, the costumes, or any of that. Um, and they've still managed to. In my, well, they they made it work um, pretty convincingly, to be fair. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if if yeah, if you hadn't told me that that they had to do that, I w- wouldn't have known that it started life as this other kind of uh, production. But it did have a, a very kind of interesting production, which does kind of lend itself in into this kind of disjointed uh, state. Yeah, so there's definitely some conflicting reports on this. I read that they had shot almost the entire film as pretty much the whole series, like almost all of season one of whatever the show would have been. But just like Twin Peaks, it didn't have an ending. It was left ambiguous. And somewhere along the way, yeah, the suits or whoever were like, hey, this goes nowhere. People are going to get bored. This isn't interesting enough to keep up with home improvement or whatever was on TV at the time. Uh, you got to add some punch. So they didn't green light it. They ended up canceling it. And then, yeah, from there, Lynch thought, okay, you know what? Maybe I will make an ending for it. I'll tighten it up. We'll make it a film. So he shot what I think is the third act of the film, or maybe just a bit of the ending. I don't know to kind of wrap it. I I don't really know for sure. Uh, Lynch famously does not talk about this movie in interviews. He does not answer questions about it. He does not talk about themes. He does not do analysis. (laughs) He does not weigh in. He did not do a commentary as far as I can tell. David Lynch does not talk about Mulholland Drive. Um, and I'm not sure why that is. I've got some hot takes, but they're probably incorrect. I think it's because he's ashamed of it, but I, I think that's probably wrong. Um, I mean, he so doesn't, I don't know. Really, ta- he doesn't yeah. really talk about, but when you ask about interpretation, he, he kind of refuses to ask. I remember there's a, f- a famous interview where he's like, someone asked him, you know, what is this film about? And he, or what is this painting? At, the, at that point, it was a painting, but he said, what is this painting about? And he says, it's about four by three <laughs> was how like so he he's, he he doesn't talk about those okay those sorts so of that's things. just kind of his thing right lynch lynch is just kind of that way which is you know hey you're an auteur like you're you're allowed to talk about your art however much or little you want that's fine 
Um, so this movie's got a bit of an interesting past, I guess is the point. Yes, but it started at some point as a television series. And I think in a lot of ways, I think I would have enjoyed it more as one. I think you blow this out to longer than two and a half hours. You make it like a four or an eight hour thing, eight or 16 episodes of a half hour, maybe an hour. I don't know. Um, I think it would have had more weight, would have had more substance. I think the mystery could have been fleshed out a little bit more and been a little bit more practical. The way it's presented here is a two and a half hour fever dream of like seemingly random assortments of imagery, names, locations, settings, and, 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 and subconscious. And, and I didn't get into it. I wanted to, I, I mean, it started, you get the title cards. It's mysterious. Justin Thoreau, Naomi Watts are in this movie. I'm like, Oh, okay. This is going to be something cool. And I just couldn't keep up. I just, at some point the roller coaster left me on the tracks and I was like, I'm lost. I don't know what's happening. And then for the next like hour or 45 minutes or whoever it was, I just couldn't get it. I was like, I don't know what's going on. Like I, yeah. So let's talk about something here. What do you, what yeah. do you want to start talking about? This the plot, the characters. The, yeah. The let's start with, with the plot. So there are a number of elements going on somewhat it is up to the viewer to decide what is and isn't connected. But kind of at the start of the film, we have this accident with Laura Elena Haring. Uh, very br- brutal, like two cars collide very violently, and, and she kind of stumbles out of it. Uh, we have that. We have B- Naomi Watts' character arriving in L.A. Uh, we have kind of this back behind the scenes, behind closed doors gangster thing about like this certain girl is going to be cast in the film. Yeah, that was um, weird. There, there's a hitman involved. There's a coffee shop. There's, there's an eccentric I mean, director. Yeah, yeah. There, there's like ten little kind of vignettes that are very, very loosely related. There'll be elements of you know the the like two characters. You might see them in the same place, or you'll see one character from one scene kind of come over another. But uh, here's a really good example. After the car wreck, there's um. A, a very short scene with uh, two detectives, one played by Robert Forrester, who's in the opening credits, and they they kind of do some you know classic cop talk about uh yeah we gotta solve this one, figure out what's uh you know what's going on. Someone was definitely here. Something something's going on here. Yeah. Yeah, and then we never see them again. Never. And, and it's like it just that like that that in that introductory element just goes nowhere, and that happens a lot in this film. And there's yeah. a good a good reason why, but it is very the first time you watch it, it's very uh, frustrating. Um, I think I will go and say is that the large part of this dream of this film is supposed to rent represent a dream, like a literal dream, and that's kind of how it's a page out of the Christopher Nolan book of like he literally constructs how dreams are. Their dreams are very random. Dreams take things from real life and kind of mix and match them together. They, they start you in the middle of something, they end ab- abruptly, and that kind of we get that feeling throughout the, the majority of the film. Yeah. And, and like, I, I, I did think of inception once or twice when I was watching this movie because I knew it was very dreamlike. People told me that. Um, yeah, I think twin peaks in a lot of ways is the same way, right? That's kind of Lynch's style. This, this idea of like kind of subconscious through narrative explaining what you're seeing on screen visually, but not verbally. So the audience is left to interpret it for themselves. Like I knew, I kind of knew that's what I was getting into, but like I did think about inception at one point and I thought, you know, what would it be like if, Instead of like the entire first act of Inception, where they explain the dreams, explain that they're going in, you explain that you have levels, you explain that you have an architect, you explain the time differentiation between levels, you explain all that. What if you just cut all that out of the movie and just did the next two acts first and then later 
you maybe explain some of it kind of <laughs> wouldn't that be a great movie and i'm convinced it'd be terrible like and 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 in a lot of ways parts of that i think analysis are correct with what this movie's doing and like i don't like it i don't like it i under, <laughs> i understand why he's telling it visually i understand there's a ton of imagery and symbolism here but it just makes me mad i'm like just tell your damn story stick to the script like right you know just just do the movie like don't overthink it but lynch is lynch and this is what he does and i wish i i wish i i wish i so wish i felt that way when i watched this i so wish that i was like into what's happening but i just wasn't i, ju- I just wasn't just, and, and i'm i'm mad at myself and i'm mad at the world so what what's yeah next? I, I think yeah. it was definitely overhyped for you i i definitely yes, didn't 100 percent. i definitely didn't help in in that uh as as well but it's um yeah like i said the the there's a lot there, I think, and and exactly, I think a good director really uses the visual medium to like, you know, to show, don't tell, and um, this is very much a mystery. And like when I, I like I said, I got to see it right when it came out in 2001. At I think I rented it on DVD, and I actually ended up watching it two days in a row because I was so intrigued about trying to figure it out. Because that was before you could go online and and kind of search for uh, inter- interpretations. I think Roger Ebert actually had, has a good review, which does explain um, a lot of things. But also, it's a mystery to be solved. And the original DVD actually came with this list of things to pay attention to. It didn't explain any of it. It just said, it, in this scene, like, pay attention to these things. And it was about, like 10 to 12 things. One of, one of the things at the very beginning, there's a scene where uh, the camera goes into a bedroom and then kind of crashes onto a pillow. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know pay attention to that and that's one of the indications that we're in a dream right yeah i i think that's that's valid and and i i think lynch's commitment to like visual storytelling is admirable i really do but part of the problem with my visual storytelling with my interpretation of the visual storytelling in this film is the visuals are very dated this movie not only was made in 2001 it was shot probably earlier right yeah. and it was shot as a television series so for what it's worth, like I, I, a lot of this movie is overblown on the lighting. It's all very like it's 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 all studio lighting for a lot of this movie because it's cheap and they need to just get together and shoot this stuff quickly to make a television series. Um, now Lynch does have his unique like surrealist lighting in there that does come up sometimes, but not very often. Like you'd think it would be a lot more, but it's it kind of just isn't. I mean, look. Here, I'm running the trailer right now, right? So this is the trailer on on Facebook, just so real quick for people who are listening. I know you can't see this, but you can look at the, you can look at the lighting here in Naomi like Naomi Watts. Like look how well lit she is. My god. Now this is a reveal for for her character in a scene, but like still she she looks great from all angles. The characters behind her are all super well lit. Like this is consistent throughout this movie. Anytime the characters are hanging out talking, the camera's really tight on their face, and they're usually pretty well lit. And like it's because it's a TV show. It's because this is supposed to be a TV show, not a movie. And like, I couldn't shake it. The whole movie, I was like, this is supposed to be visual storytelling and the visuals are are unique. And and I couldn't get away from it. It was just, I was just stuck on it and I really didn't want to be, but like, it's just the way it was. And like, I don't know. I, I was just... T- see, I, it, think uh, the, uh, yeah. I, th- I think that the, the visuals, like this haze that we have, like that's only there for the first like three-fourths of the film and it's it's on purpose. Uh, because again, it's it's this kind of dreamlike state, and it's not just it's not just the literal dream. It's also just the kind of figurative dreams, like uh, Betty dreams of being this successful actress. So the way we see her through the majority of the film is how she 
wishes to see herself you know like right she, she's bright-eyed bushy-tailed like her her hair is super blonde her teeth are super white she's super bubbly and naive and like everything kind of just falls into place uh for you know she meets there, there's this really super cheesy dialogue when she first gets off the bus and she there's these two there's this <laughs> yeah. old couple that that she's been you know f- become friends with and they're like we'll see you on the big screen and she's like oh shucks ma like kind of yeah and it's yes. actually it's actually dubbed it's actually out of sync a little bit because it's it's again it's supposed to be a little bit uh dis disjunct and, and so there's a lot of that i think is is on purpose like it's blown out for a reason it's hazy for for a reason right and i think that's true like there's definitely a stylistic choices i should say the third act of this film is the best act Definitely. Um, that That is where a lot of the mysteries about the movie are at least visually explained. Um, you know, so if you're really paying attention, you can get on board with what's happening. That That's where a lot turns out. Um, after watching the film, I, I rushed to the internet to look up analysis, something Andy did not have the convenience of doing back when he saw the picture. Um, and that did help clear up a lot as well. Um, and that that kind of helped, helped, helped lead me into what I think is supposed to be the correct interpretation. But... I don't know. I, I just there's something about it that just didn't do it for me. And and I think it's just Lynch's kind of commitment to this like unabashed confidence of here's the way I'm going to tell the story and I'm not I'm not interested in what how anybody else wants to hear it. I, I they can interpret it their own way. I'm gonna tell it this way. Here's the story. And 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 the the shift from this kind of bubbly, interesting, like idealistic certainly view of Los Angeles to like this horribly downtrodden, rotten <laughs> place is so drastic. Like I felt like I got whiplash in my chair. Um, mm. it, it's really striking, and and it makes the film feel much heavier than the first two thirds. I think lend themselves to be right because yeah, looking at on, on its face, eh, it's a story about a woman who gets amnesia and an aspiring actress is helping her figure it out. Right? Isn't that fun? It's like Nancy Drew mystery. And then you realize kind of what the bigger picture is. It's like, oh, no, this is much larger and deeper than I had (laughs) anticipated. And I do respect that a lot. Uh, I wanted to to mention uh, there's elements of of horror in this, which which is funny because, like you said, it is a little bit like a Nancy Drew mystery. Mm-hmm. And it's that's how our characters and you know they they're like you know trying to sneak into this apartment to get some information, but like it very quickly turns very dark. Yeah. Um, but also, there's moments of this movie that are incredibly funny. I, I think like there's this whole thing with the uh, Justin Thoreau's character, who's the director, where um, he comes home early, finds his wife cheating, and uh, with a pool guy, and the whole scene is just like hilarious hilarious from start to finish it's actually i think it's billy ray cyrus who's 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 playing the pool guy oh yeah um and there's individual element like i feel like while while the scenes you may have trouble kind of putting it all together every scene works really well on its own the scene with the hitman uh carrying out a hit that kind of goes wrong is is really funny and so there's just like there's these like really stark tonal shifts uh, as well And and that fits with like the dream motive of like just random how your dreams kind of just randomly shift in from one thing to another. Yeah. I think, I think Mulholland drive has ultimately, um, I'm going to say something controversial here besides everything else I've said in this short review. Um, I think this movie is aged poorly. I think it does not look great because of the way it was made. And also I think a lot of films have come by since that have been inspired by it. 
and done similar uh, things. I, I mean, I told Andy after I watched it, I said this reminded me of, of Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. It was made three years after this movie. Um, I mean, within 2000 and 2000, from 2000 to 2005, both of these films came out. And I would argue one is much more vibrant and engaging than the other. They're obviously two very different films. And, and in Turtle Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, it's not trying to be like this long form visual telling of a narrative. It's very different. But I, it's hard for me not to see at least similar inspiration between those two films and like a handful of surrealist films, films since. And when it comes to surreal films, like you're either in 100% or you're out 100%. And, and like <laughs> yeah. I, this one I just could not get into. I think. I don't know, Andy. Any, any other thoughts for recommendations? Yeah. Um, what is this film about? <laughs> a love story in in the city of angels. Right? The, that's, uh, that's David Lynch's official tagline. Well, it, it's that's the thing. So this is open to lots and lots of interpretations. Um, you know, it's obviously about dreams. It's the biggest one, both literal and figurative. Um, it's about identity. There's uh, this thing where, where characters uh, eventually kind of swap personalities, swap names, swap looks. Uh, there's there's this. I think it's the the scene that's kind of on the DVD color of the two women in in with blonde hair, where they they kind of begin to meld. Who who is who? Like who is Betty? Who is who is Rita? Um, yeah. So identity's uh, a big theme. There's a, a lot of uh, interpretations. I was reading more about uh, Roger Ebert used to do uh, a thing where he would pick a film and they would go by it, like basically scene by scene for a whole week at, at some film festival. And uh, he said they did this film and they just like there were endless amounts of interpretation uh, to things. You know, it's not no one way to to in, interpret what the the film is isn't. Uh, isn't uh, trying to say. I will say that there are a lot of through visual clues uh, to pay attention to. Color is really important, uh, specifically red and blue. The objects that are that are blue uh, pop up, and they're uh, they're really important. Same thing with red. Um, location. Th- there's these these mugs that they go to this coffee shop. The these brown mugs show up in a lot of scenes. That's important too. And it's and that's what I mean. Like there's these visual cues to kind of help you along, but you gotta really be paying attention. Like I said, it, it requires multiple viewings. Yeah. Um you know th- this movie reminds me of like a conversation I had in a in a, in a like early film class in sort of film one oh one or something when we were talking about symbolism in films. We watched a scene from The Virgin Suicides, the Sofia Coppola movie, and um, in that scene, there's not a whole lot going on. It's really just uh, the kind of the younger girls, Kirsten Dunst and her sisters, uh, talking about something. And on the wall behind them is is a painting of a red sailboat, sailboat with red red hull. Um, and my filmmaking teacher, she ta- she stopped the movie and she said, "What do y'all think that sailboat means?" Turn on the lights. Everybody's looking at the screen. What do y'all think that sailboat means? And people just kind of raise their hands and go around and one kid eventually it's like, I think it's just a sailboat that like was in a painting they picked up from a pawn shop. I don't think it really means anything. And she was like, well, you don't understand film. (laughs) 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 But the point is like when it comes to a movie like this, it's hard for me not to start sliding back into that feeling. Like I I think there are things in here that are consistent that are important. I think the color blue is incredibly striking because there's not a lot of it in this movie. I I think, I think obviously consistency of character visuals is important. A lot of characters look similar to one another, but there's other stuff that like I just, my eyes just wash over. Like I just don't care. Um, and that, that includes in this film characters and scenes because they never come back again. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's just hard for me to be invested. It's just hard for me to think, okay, I'm, I'm going to sit down and really take this in. It's like a fine piece of cinema when I can't help shake this feeling that like 
this movie is not an intentional piece of singular work. It is a messy piece of like conglomerated media put together to try to make what appears to be a singular piece of work. And I think ultimately Lynch's vision far exceeds his grasp. I think he's created something here that's truly timeless, but man, the first time around, I just didn't see it. <laughs> it's just so, rough, rough. Yeah. Uh, I, I, any other thoughts for recommendations, Andy? I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Mulholland Drive? Absolutely, I would. Yeah. It's every one of my favorite films. It's a it's a classic. Uh it but some caveats I will it is it's long, it is slow, it is a surrealist film. There are lots of scene kind of individual scenes that don't necessarily relate to things that you will see before or after. It's really up to the viewer to to pay attention and to kind of create an interpretation of what's happening, what's going on, and kind of what it all means. Yeah. Uh I would kind of recommend it. <laughs> I was going to say hard pass, but I can't hard pass Mulholland Drive. Like, I can't. Like, there's something There's <laughs> something going on in this movie. Although I didn't like it, I have not been able to stop thinking about it for two days. Like, it's all that's been going through my mind. So I wouldn't say hard pass. I'd say if you're going to watch Mulholland Drive, you better come ready for some surreal shit. Like, it is two and a half hours of unforgiving craziness like and you're either in or you're out i tried i got an hour in i got lost and before i knew it i didn't know what i was watching anymore um for the first time in off script history i think i'm going to issue an official like redo <laughs> uh next redo. time this movie comes to a theater because i'm sure it will at some point we need to go see it that's that's my answer i want to i want to see this in a theater i want to see this like in the proper setting i want to see this like away from streaming i want to see this in a place where i'm really just glued to the screen i want to get pulled into the world of mulholland drive i think it'll mean a lot more but this time it just didn't do it for me so if you watch mulholland drive my 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 one caveat is this be ready to watch it twice because yep, there's absolutely. more than just one time going on in this movie and it needs another viewing so that's that's mulholland drive I, I, again, Andy, I'm so bummed I didn't like this. I really, really mm-hmm. wanted to like it, and I think I went too far and came back on the other end, and I didn't, I didn't get into it. Mm-hmm. I well, hate I mean, when sometimes, that happens. Sometimes yeah. it, that's definitely happened to me where I've seen something, and I just didn't like it, and then d- down the road I came around it. Or sometimes there will be great films that I just don't like. Uh, Phantom Thread comes to mind. as like I could not stand that film. I watched looked at my watch like seven or eight times. Yeah, But I was glad to see it to be able to discuss it because I think it is a really good work. I just didn't really enjoy it. Yeah. So I don't know. That's Mulholland Drive. I, I hope I come back around on it on at some point. If I ever watch it again, I'll definitely talk about it on the show and like my thoughts. Um, but this time it just did not get there. So that's Mulholland Drive. Uh, and that's our show for the week. Uh, Andy, what are we watching next week? We are watching uh, Malcolm and Marie, which is a relationship drama starring Zendaya and John David Washington from Tenet. Uh, that's going to be on Netflix starting February 5th, this Friday, just in time for uh, Valentine's Day. I don't know if it's a breakup movie or a, or a love story. Yeah. It's a story about love. That's what the uh, the tagline is. So, um, But that that's coming out. And then we're also going to take a look back at The Prestige, which is uh, Chris Nolan's, I think, 2006, 2004 film. Uh, which is streaming on Amazon Prime about dueling magicians played by uh, oh, Christian Hugh, ja- Bale and Hugh, yeah, Jackman, yeah, Hugh Jackman, Christian Bale. Yeah, a brilliant piece of work. If you've never seen The Prestige, I would highly encourage you to check it out. That movie's super cool, and I'm excited to talk about it on the show. 
uh, one of the few Blu-rays I actually own, so I'll probably watch it there. But if you don't have the means, you don't have it on Blu-ray, you can watch The Prestige on Amazon Prime, you can watch Malcolm and Marie on Netflix, and you can watch both of our films today, The Little Things and Mulholland Drive, on HBO Max. Look at these streaming properties, huh? Man, oh man, we're up to date. We know where everything's at. We're telling people. Uh, and if there's anything else we could tell you to do, it's to subscribe to the show. Just subscribe to the show, our show, Off Script Film Reviews. So you can get new episodes every single week straight to your phone. Helps our analytics, drives us up on searching, uh, search engines, iTunes, you know, Google Google Podcasts. Wherever you get your podcast, that's where we're at. We're on Facebook where we live stream the show every single Tuesday uh, at about 4 o'clock CST, uh, about 5 o'clock CST. Let's call it what it is. Uh, we upload our episodes to YouTube as well. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. You can find us over there. But the biggest thing you can do is just subscribe or leave us a rating and review. That would be tremendous as well. It helps us more than you know. Don't just do it for our show too. Do it for all the podcasts you listen to. Seriously, real talk, rate and review your shows. Like, it, it, it's important. It's good for them. It's good for everybody. It's good for you. It's good for them. It's good for everybody. Anyway, with all of that being said, that was a bit of a mess. Uh, thanks for listening to Offscript Film Review, uh, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for listening.